John 17, 20 through 23, um, let me say this. Anything that comes from God is three things. True, good, and beautiful. Sometimes there are truths that come from the Lord that we on first thought don't think are good or beautiful, but that's because we're misunderstanding them. Anything that truly comes from God is true, good, and beautiful. And in this passage, I would say that the truth we learn here is more good and more beautiful than this truth in the world, than the way the world thinks we get this truth. That'll make more sense in a minute. In 2009, there was a musician named Trevor Hall. Um, I liked to listen to him in high school. He was almost like a reggae-inspired singer-songwriter. Uh, he put out a song in 2009 called Unity, and this is, these are the words of unity. He says, I don't want to reason anymore about the one I love, the one I love. I don't want to reason anymore about God above, God above. I just want to melt away in all his grace, drift away into that sacred space where there's no more you and me, no more they and we, just unity. Sounds nice. Sounds pretty good right there on the surface. He wrote it in response uh, to some religious terrorism that was happening around the world at that point. Back in 2009, there was a bombing in, New in Mumbai, another one in Israel that caused him to write this song. But what's he saying about unity here? He's saying, look, if our different beliefs lead to division, to, to fighting, and to war, let's just set those things aside. I don't want to reason anymore about God above. Let's just downplay our distinctions. Let's have unity. It's not a new idea, right? This is the same idea that was in a song a generation before by John Lennon. You probably know it. The song Imagine, John Legend says, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. You, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will all be one. What's he saying? John Legend, Len, Lennon is saying, look, if our difference beliefs, if our differences in general, if they lead to division, let's just set those things aside. Let's get past them. Let's get over them. I hope one day you'll join us, then the world can all be one. If we could just get past those things, if we could just ignore them, if we could just dismiss our distinctions, that's where we'll find unity. And uh, the Christians have had no shortage of ripping on John Lennon for that song over the last 60, or 60, not 60, 40, maybe, years. Now, the thing is, I want what Trevor Hall wants, and I want also what John Lennon wants. I want there to be a day where the death and violence is no more on the headlines of our newspapers. I, I want there to be a day where hate is no more, and I, I hope that all of us want this. They're singing about something that all of us are longing for. I want what they, are, what they want, but I think they're looking in the wrong place for it. They're going about seeking unity and finding unity in the wrong way. Because they believe, and think about this, they believe that unity is something that will be found in the absence of belief. They think we'll find unity in the absence of truth. That if we dismiss and downplay truth, specifically truth about God, that's where we'll find unity. Or maybe if I'm going to be a little bit more cheeky about it, they believe that unity is to be found when everyone thinks like them. Remove all distinctions. Remove all of our differences. And that's when we'll be united. But of course, that doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't make sense for a couple reasons. The problem with this way of thinking is that that's never how unity's worked. The removal of division might stop us fighting, but it won't create unity. Unity is more than the absence of disunity. It's more than the absence of diversity. By nature, we know that people don't unite around the absence of something. Rather, what we do is we, we unite around a shared or a common interest, a shared or common passion, a shared or common purpose. That's what brings people together. C.S. Lewis says something about this in his book, The Four Loves. He's talking about friendship love when he says that friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What, you two? <laughs> I thought I was the only one. It's that shared interest, that shared passion, that shared purpose. That's what brings people together. That's how unity is created. Not from the absence of truth, but from a shared common truth. We look at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus is pulling us back again to this topic of unity. It's a topic we talked about just a few weeks ago. But what he has to say about unity, as you might guess, is 180 degrees the opposite of what Trevor Hall and John Lennon have to say about it. Jesus teaches us that unity is not found in downplaying or dismissing the truth, but by pushing into the truth. Unity is not found by downplaying or dismissing the truth. It's found by pushing into the truth. And last week, Jesus asks the Father that he would sanctify them in the truth, his disciples, in the truth. Your word is truth, he says. Now this week, as he prays for unity, what we're going to learn is that it's around this truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that true unity is found. In Jesus' vision of unity, it is so much more compelling and so much more beautiful. So much more beautiful than this truthless, faceless, homogenous mush of the absence of belief. I hope you can see it here today as we go through it. So three things that we're going to learn about unity today from Jesus. I'll tell you right now if you're a note taker. Number one, our unity in Jesus isn't something we create. It's something we join. Unity isn't something we create. It's something we join. Number two, unity in Jesus is not static. It's something we grow in. Unity in Jesus is not something that's static. It's something we grow in. And then finally, number three, unity in Jesus isn't something that we hoard, keep to ourselves. It's something that we share. Something that we share with the world. So let's pause and pray, and then we'll get rolling, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray for your help today. This is something that has absolutely rocked my heart and rocked my mind all week. Um, I've really struggled just to condense this. It's so beautiful, Lord. And um, I pray that the way that you moved my heart throughout the week, just moving me to tears sometimes, Lord, would be the way you move today. Whether they are tears or not, help us feel the beauty of this. Help us feel the goodness of this, Lord. Help us see that the unity that you offer is better than the unity the world offers. That your story is a better story, Jesus. That in you we can find something deeper, richer, truer, more eternal, more good. Help us think differently and help that lead us to worship and also to obedience, Lord, as we seek to live this out. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. If you've been with us, you know this isn't the first time Jesus has talked about unity. Just a couple of verses before, verse 11, Jesus prayed for his disciples. And this is what he prayed. Holy Father, keep them, the 12 disciples, in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And now in this text, he prays this. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, so everybody who's believed the message they came to share. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you, have sent, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Before Jesus came, before there was King David, before there was Moses, before Abraham, before Adam, before God even said, let there be light, then, way back then, there was unity. Unity has no beginning. There never was when unity was not. Because unity is something that existed in our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, since before the beginning of time. Unity is eternal. It's existed as long as our God has existed. And when we talk about the unity of God, what we're talking about is a perfect eternal relationship of mutual self-giving love, extending into eternity past. And the amazing thing, actually, is that next week, when we open up to verse 24, uh, Jesus is going to talk about the love that he had from the Father since before the beginning of time. Our minds are going to pop open a little bit next week. He says this, Father, that you loved me before the foundation of the world. The thing is, if that makes your head hurt, you're getting it. This is extravagant. This is transcendent. This is beyond what our little brains can understand. Before God separated light from darkness, he within himself was unity. Now, when we talk about unity here, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the unity that he had with the Father since before the beginning of time. Perfect, eternal relationship of mutual, self-giving love. That's what he was talking about back in verse 11 when he prayed for the disciples that they may be one even as we are one. And that's what he prays for us, all of us who have believed the word of the disciples, passed on from him, that we may all be one, verse 22 says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may all, sorry, that they also may be in us. So the first thing we learn about unity by coming to this passage is that our unity in Jesus Christ is not something that we create. It's something we join. Something that existed from before the beginning of time. That we have the grace and we have the joy of entering into. <clears throat> now, thinking back to John Lennon, and Trevor Hall, and their, their vision of unity. Contrary to them, unity is not something that we create by setting aside truth. Unity is something we join by clinging to truth. We don't set it aside. 
We cling to it. That's where unity is found. By clinging to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. By clinging to the one who came to bear witness to the truth, John 18, 37. By clinging to the one who came to speak for God, whose word is truth, John 17, 17. We find union, we find unity by clinging to Jesus Christ. By faith in him, we join in God's eternal unity, where by faith we enter unity with Christ. United with him, united with God. Now, that might seem very uh, conceptual, uh, ethereal. Uh, it might be nice information to, to hear, but what do we actually do with it, right? Is there any practical difference that that would make for us? I think there's two things when I think about it. Two ways that our union, by the grace of God, with one another, in him, actually shapes our life today. And the first one is this. I mean, this has got to lead us to marvel, uh, to, to, wa- to wonder, to be in awe, just to worship him. Because let me put verse 23 up here on the screen. I, the words of this should make us shudder. He says, I in them, talking about our unity, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, these words here, and loved them even as you loved me. Wait a second. What? Love them even as you loved me, that the Father would love us in the same way that the Father loves the Son? That the unity between them, the love that they've known since before the beginning of the world, is something that's going to be shared with us? What? I mean, that should blow our minds. <laughs> Sorry. Good. But I mean, th- I mean, seriously, think about it. This is what we've been invited into. This is what we are given by faith in Christ. If this is something that doesn't make us say, wow, well, that at least it should make us say, why? Why does he love us like this? I don't have a reason other than grace. Man, that should lead us to worship. And number two, it should change the way we think about each other. The unity of the triune God that's shared first with his disciples and then through their word with those who believe and then through their word with those who believe them and then through their word with those who believe them was eventually spoken to you and me. And we believed it. The triune God that has had unity since before the beginning of time, we, Christian, by faith, enter into Your faith is not a solo thing. In Christ, you've joined something ancient and global, a family that is closer than family. A family that's not flesh and blood, but washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I just can't help but think that when we're united with God's perfect eternal relationship of mutual self-giving love, that love might just shape our relationship with one another. It's got to. So first, Our unity in Jesus isn't something we create. It's something we join. Second, our unity in Jesus isn't something that's static. It's something we grow in. Let's look at um, verse 22 and 23. You'll see what I mean. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
these words here are the important ones, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So, July 25th, 2015, I became one uh, with Olivia. That was the day we got married. On that day, Olivia lost her last name, so I gave her mine. Uh, we, we entered into a, a sacred unity, a, a one-flesh a one flesh relationship with one another. In, in our unity, it happened in, the mo- in a moment, right? My brother-in-law, Zach, he's a, he's a pastor, so he did the ceremony for us. And the moment that he said, I pronounce you man and wife, unity, it was done. My unity with Olivia is just as united on that day as it is today. And yet, we have grown in unity. We were fully united at that time, and yet at the same time, we've grown. Unity is something that we had to grow into. After the decade, it's been a decade of, almost a decade of of dying to ourselves, growing in that unity, learning to think and act as one. And I would like to think that we're better at living out our unity today than we were a month into our marriage and two months into our marriage. And that's exactly how our unity with one another works as well. It happens the moment that you cling to the truth. By faith, you are united with Christ. By faith, you are united with one another. But then at the same time, this is something we learn to grow in over time. We, live to, we learn to live out. I quoted this a few weeks ago, but Joni Erickson Tata, she says it like this. Believers are never told to become one. We already are one and expected to act like it. We live into our unity. We're united, done, finished. But then we learn to live it out. It's harder to see this in this text uh, in the English Standard Version, the, the version I'm preaching from. John 17, 23, in, in my version, it says that they may become perfectly one. I wonder if you see that there. Now, if you have the English, the New International Version, it says it a little bit better. It loses something in the ESV. NIV says it like this. Jesus prays, may they be brought to complete unity. That's clearer. It's getting at this point. Yeah, we're united in a moment. At the same time, we need to grow into that unity. We need to live that unity out. Unity is not static. Our unity is something that we grow into. And so the question, obviously, is how exactly do we do that? How do we grow in unity? Now, I'm sure that you guys could make a list. We could all make a list of different ways that we live out our unity a way that we might grow in relationship, grow in love for one another. Uh, we, might, we might serve one another, invite people over for dinner. You can make this list yourself. But at its core, the love that unites us is the same love that grows us in unity. Let me say it again. It's the love that unites us. That's the same love that grows our unity. Maybe, maybe think about it like this. Um, you can give your money away generously at any time. There's nothing stopping you from lavishly and generously giving away all the money you have. You can freely, but the, the difference is you can freely and lavishly give away your money to other people who need it uh, when there's already food on your table. Uh, you can freely and lavishly give away your money to people in need when your kids are clothed, when there's a, there's a roof over your family's head. Love works the same way. It's hard to love others well from a place of insecurity. 
It's hard to love others well when we're looking to other people to tell us that we're loved, to, to give us love. We might love people, but it might uh, have, a, have a, uh, another motive that maybe they'll turn around and love us in return. But what if you know you're loved perfectly? What if you have absolute confidence? Because when you're secure in the love of God, when you know that you're loved, when your love tank is on full, you can pour out and you can need nothing back. You can give away your love zealously, lavishly, generously. When you know that your love tank will not run dry until the day that God's love runs dry, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. If we want to grow in unity with one another, that, that's great. We should do all those things before. Serve each other, eat together, pray with and for each other, encourage one another. But do those things from a tank that's overflowing with God's divine love. Find confidence in God's eternal love. And from that place, you can give away lavish love. You can share in the unity by growing in unity with one another. Our unity in Jesus isn't something that's static. It's something we grow in with one another as we grow in Christ. So first, our unity in Jesus isn't something we create. It's something we join. Secondly, our unity in Jesus isn't something that's static. It's something we grow in. And then third, our unity in Jesus isn't something we hoard. It's something we share. Let's jump back to this text. I'll read the whole thing again. Pay attention to what's in bold up here. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have loved me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, and they may be, sorry, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. All right, so John Lennon, Trevor Hall, they have this vision of unity, uh, a, a global unity, right? A global peace, global love. And that, that, that is something everyone wants. I hope, I hope that none of us are thinking, I would love to hear about a new war on the headlines tomorrow. We want peace. We want unity. We want love in this world. Of course, we all do. But they seem to think that the only way to actually get unity is through uniformity. John Lennon says, it, thinks, it seems, that if you remove our distinctions, there's no religion, no countries, then we'll be one. Trevor Hall seems to think that by downplaying our distinctions, I don't want to reason about it, that's where we'll have unity. But there's something about Jesus' unity here that's absolutely compelling, um, and that ought to be compelling to anyone who sees it. Verse 21 talking about unity, he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, as if belief is the result of our unity. He says it again in verse 23, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I mean, what's compelling about our unity in Christ is that it doesn't require 
uniformity. It's easy to have unity with people who think the same and act the same and dress the same and listen to the same music, eat the same food. It's easy to be united with people who vote the same, who see all issues the same way, who look like us, who think like us, who act like us. It's easy to have unity in those places, but the global church is not like that. Not at all. In fact, when you look at the global church, what you see is a group of people who share nothing with one another except Jesus. The global church is absolutely unique in that way. Other than the fact that we are sinners who, are fallen at the, who, who have fallen at the feet of our glorious Savior, other than that, we have nothing in common. And it's not that our differences don't matter. That's important to say. It's not that our differences don't matter, like John Lennon would have us believe. They do matter. The thing is that Jesus matters more. It's not that truth doesn't matter like Trevor Hall would have us believe. Truth does matter, but the truth of Christ is stronger. Because when the world sees the unity of the church, it should cause them to stop and wonder. It should cause them to notice that the power of the gospel to unite is greater than any power on earth to divide. And that has got to be compelling. <laughs> That's got to be compelling in a day like today where there is so much to divide. In fact, the divisions that we've seen in our world over the last three and a half years, they have been for us an opportunity for the church to show the world that the power that unites us, the power of the gospel, is stronger than the power that divides us. And I think that, broadly speaking, the American church hasn't done a great job at that. But that's not to say there haven't been churches and individual Christians and groups of Christians that have sought to do that, to lay down their differences and live out the unity that is truly theirs in Christ. And so just to call you be free, the reality is more opportunities for division will come. They are coming. November 2024 and beyond, more reasons to divide are coming. Are we going to take our opportunity to show the world that the power of the gospel is power than the, or stronger than the powers that divide us? This is our chance to show them. To show them that we have something stronger than division. Stronger than the power of the things that divide us. And so first, our unity in Jesus isn't something that we create. It's something we join by clinging to the truth. Second, our unity in Jesus isn't something that's static. It's something we grow in as we love one another. And then third, our unity in Jesus isn't something we hoard. It's something we share as we show the power of, of the gospel by our unity. Now, at the end here, you might be thinking uh, to yourself, okay, Ben, that's great. But, you know, Lennon and Hall, they weren't talking— they were talking about world peace. They were talking about love in the world. They were talking about world unity. Jesus isn't talking about that. Jesus is talking about his people— He's talking about Christian peace, Christian love, Christian unity. They're talking about different things. But I would say, no, they're not. It's a good argument, right? I'll explain why, what I mean. Lyndon Hall's dream, it, it is a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream because so long as truth matters to anyone, truth will not 
be able to be ignored by everyone. It's just not going to happen until the day truth doesn't matter, and that day ain't coming, right? It's going to be pretty hard to get everyone to come around to their way of thinking that just truth is something to be dismissed. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't—who cares? But the message of the Bible and the message of the gospel is that everyone will come around to Jesus' way of thinking. And I'm not talking about unity, like Unitarian, like every single person. What I'm talking about is this, Philippians 2.10. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the moment that Jesus Christ appears in the clouds, everyone on earth will know the truth. Nobody on that day will say, let's downplay that truth. Nobody on that day will say that truth doesn't matter because when Christ appears in the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, Revelation 1:37. And on that day, he will judge the nation in perfect justice. Those who believed will be gathered to him into the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, Revelation 21, tells us all about it. There will be no tears, no death, no mourning, no pain. This is a better vision of the world, a better vision of unity and joy than John Legend Lennon could have ever imagined. And those who do not believe, they will be cast into what Revelation 19 calls the lake of fire. And if that sounds terrible, it is terrible. If, if you're wondering how we should feel about that, well, here's how Jesus felt about it. Here's how God felt about it. Yes, he wants justice, and yes, he, like us, and like all of us, we're looking forward to that day of justice. And yet, Jesus came. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, to free people from the burden of sin. He came and gave his life so people would not go to the lake of fire, so that people would know his love, know his unity. And not just that, but he sent us out, that the nations will believe in Jesus through our word. At the end, he will come, the truth will be clear. Judgment will happen, but he has not come yet. And that is the mercy of God. It gives us the chance to go and proclaim the hope of the nations. That Jesus Christ loves them, that he died for them, that he rose again to victorious, everlasting life, and that they can have that unity, that love, that life, by faith in him alone. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, I mean, today's the day. Uh, we don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't know when he's going to appear in the clouds. All we know is in a twinkling of an eye, that we don't know when it's going to happen. Don't wait. Today is your chance to repent and believe, to turn from your sin, to find life in Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, two words for you. First, you have the word of eternal life. That's what we've been talking about this whole prayer. And then secondly, you have a chance to show the power of the gospel by living out your unity with the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that word unity is something that can be so um, undefined, so unclear. Its use is just a catch-all for good feelings, sometimes between people. And yet, Lord, that's not the way you think of it. 
Unity is not something that we get just by pushing into each other. It's something we join by pushing into you. And so, Father, may we push into you. May we grow in our unity by pushing further into you and therefore further into each other. And may we see and take every opportunity that we can muster to go out into the world and call people to join us in this eternal relationship of perfect joy. God, may that convict us and compel us. And may all of it lead us to worship. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.